3.45 in the morning, uh, I realize how precious that gift is, and I am so, so sorry. That gift, of course, is sleep. Learning its rhythm is the same as other things. We learn about sleep and how to sleep by practice, and we know that it has an important role to play in our well-being. And the older I get, the more I realize that. Uh, And I think about a thing I saw the other day that said, Dear Naps, I'm sorry I was so mean to you as a child. (laughs) The thing about sleep, though, the thing about sleep is this may be one of the most important and one of the most holy things we do. To understand that, we're going to look at Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. But before we do that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit who is here working in our hearts. Make us more like Jesus, we pray. Amen. Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is the word of God. Well, we're going to look at these verses in in more depth at another time, but what what we really need to notice is that, first of all, all of God's commandments really are a gift. Today, we're going to be talking about sleep, but all of his commandments are a gift. And as we look at this particular commandment, what God is doing is he is giving his people a rhythm to follow, a rhythm for life, a pattern to pattern themselves after. And this rhythm actually is a life-giving rhythm. There are days for work, there is a day for rest, and that rhythm keeps going. And if you follow that rhythm, what happens is that rhythm begins to give you life. It begins to make you more of who you were called to be. Now, we can see this uh, even more broadly than just here in the scriptures. Not every culture acknowledges that the Sabbath is the Lord's day, as we do, but In every culture, you can find at least recognition of the life-giving benefits of having some time that you work and you work hard, and having some time that you dedicate to rest. In fact, if you were to to just go Google this, uh, you know, you'd get like 1.8 trillion results. And I was going to go through all of them to make sure that they were all about day of rest, but I didn't. Um, But here's the thing. Here is this life-giving rhythm. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And as we look at this rhythm and we think about this rhythm, we can see over there the life-giving results that it gives. We can see the life that it produces. But what I want to ask today is, what is the doorway into that life-giving rhythm? What is the doorway into the six days of work? What is the doorway into that day of rest? What is the doorway into this commandment? And what I want to suggest is that God has embedded that answer into our biology. 
through this gift, through this holy moment that we call sleep. Now, sleep is important. We all know that. In Jewish culture, then and now, sleep was so important that sleep is actually closer to the beginning of your day. The, the, the day begins in the evening, and as you hit the evening, you are starting to wind down, and then you're going to hit this moment where the sun sets, and now here is this holy moment, this, this time where you are beginning your day with something very important. Now, we know people have different sleep patterns. There's, you know, the, the monophasic, the typical seven to nine hours. Uh, some people do, you know, five or six and a nap. Some people who are crazy do four 30-minute naps. That's called Dymaxian sleep pattern. There's also the mom sleep pattern where you're, you're in bed and your eyes are closed, but somehow you hear everything. People have different sleep patterns. There are different seasons of life. There are different things going on where that shifts, but everyone sleeps. And if you don't, then you will encounter mental problems. You can get sick more and your relationships will suffer, probably because you'll be crabby. It's a biological need. Sleep is a biological need. But as we're in this series of looking at every moment holy, we need to recognize that sleep is also rich with theology because in it, in our sleep, even though we are at rest, God is still at work. In sleep, God restores us. The research shows this all across the board. In your body, when you are asleep, you are going to experience cellular restoration. Your muscles are going to begin to repair. Your tissue is going to grow. In your mind, your brain is going to solidify learning, things that you have been experiencing through the day. It's going to clear out some of that toxic waste that has built up during the day. And in your Soul, God is at weak, is at work restoring you, clearing away some of that dust from the day. And then in the morning when we wake up, we experience a freshness of God's mercy. So I said he clears away some of that dust. Have you ever had something happen or maybe you've done something and as you're, you're getting ready for bed and you're going to bed, it's just bothering you. And then you lay down and you go to sleep and when you wake up in the morning, you feel different. You look at it differently. You approach it differently. Maybe you have some more clarity. God is clearing away the dust, giving you a healthier perspective. He's also, he's also giving you a fresh experience of God's mercy. We see this in Lamentations 3, verses 22 through 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. There is something about sleep where in sleep, God restores us and we wake up to a fresh experience of his mercy. In sleep, God reorients us. I'm sure that many of you have had an experience like this where you, you have some people over, some family or some friends, you're having a, a game night or, or maybe you're, you're watching a game on TV or you're doing something and you're having a really, really good time and the kids are playing and they're laughing and they're, they're getting along, they're not trying to kill each other like they do sometimes and, and so you're just, you know, you're doing this and you know, just a little bit more of the game, just a little bit more, maybe one more, maybe one more round, maybe a few more minutes and suddenly... It's very late. 
It's way later than you thought. It's way later than you expect. And as you look at your kids still having a good time, you know that they do not usually go to bed at one o'clock in the morning. They are not going to sleep in late like you want to. They are going to wake up and they are going to wake up early and they are going to be bonkers. But it is worth it. It is worth losing sleep because you love that time together. You, you wanted to have this experience. You wanted to be with your family or your friends. And it is worth all of the craziness you're going to get from your kids that next day. Here's the thing. Sleep is so important that if you want to know what you love, then you need to ask yourself, what am I willing to lose sleep over? How much do I love my family and my friends over on a game night? How much do I love uh, some of these other things? What am I willing to lose sleep over? Just ask yourself that question and you will begin to know what you love. Sometimes it's really, really good things. It's things like spending time with family. Maybe an old friend is passing through and you just don't have enough time to catch up. Sometimes it is things that are worth less, like hitting the next episode button. Or just letting it roll. Netflix will do that for you now. Maybe it's something like one more drink. One more drink and then I'll go to bed. Maybe it's something like I just need to avoid the next day. But as we ask ourselves that question, what will I lose sleep over? What am I willing to lose sleep over? We can begin to see what we love. And in the morning, after sleep, while we are asleep, God is reorienting us. Because when you wake up in the morning, if you're honest with yourself and you lost a lot of sleep over this thing, you're going to have to ask yourself a question. Do I still love what I chose to lose sleep over? Was it worth it? That is God reorienting your heart, working on those disordered loves. So that the next time as you face that question, what am I willing to lose sleep over? Maybe we will choose something different if that thing is not worth losing sleep. Tish Harrison Warren says this. She says, In the nitty-gritty of my daily life, repentance from idolatry may look as pedestrian as shutting off my email an hour earlier or resisting that alluring clickbait to go to bed. In sleep, in sleep, God reorients us. He shows us the value of the things we love. So the next day we wake up and we ask ourselves, was it worth it, this thing that I loved? In sleep, in sleep, this thing that we, that we go through, this door that we go through to approach the fourth commandment, in sleep, God shows his sovereignty. In 1711, Joseph Addison and Richard Steele started a publication called The Spectator, This thing was published daily until 1714, and its goal was to enliven morality with wit and temper wit with morality. James Madison, Ben Franklin were among some of the readers, and even after the publication stopped in 1714, it was still very, very popular uh, as a magazine. People would would keep producing it, and, and publications, copies would go around. Well, in the issue number seven, On March 8th of 1711, there was a story, and it's a fascinating story, and you can go read it, but this story is all about people who see ghosts, and they see spirits, and they see all kinds of things around the corner, and they're terrified, and everywhere they go, there's something, and there's a sign, and there's this, and there's that, and the author at the end of this talks about his creator, 
and how when he sees these people and he's around these people, what he is going to do is this. He says, when I lay me down to sleep, I recommend myself to his care. When I awake, I give myself up to his direction. This phrase might sound familiar to you because it was later changed for the 1784 New England primer into a theologically rich children's prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray thee, Lord, my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray thee, Lord, my soul to take. This prayer, a children's prayer, acknowledges an important nightly question. Who do I trust? Who is in control? Who is in charge? Is it me? Is it the things I do? Is it the locks that will keep me safe? Is it the to- will a tornado come and sweep the house away? It's only happened three times that we know of, but maybe I will be the fourth person who gets folded up in a Murphy bed and I get stuck that way. Who do I trust? David in the Psalms writes this in Psalm, Psalm 4. He says, In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. See, when you sleep, God remains sovereign. God remains in control. And his promise to you, Christian, is you will wake up. You will wake up. It's just a matter of where. So in sleep, God shows his sovereignty and you are in his care. Well, finally, in sleep, God affirms his limitlessness. God affirms his limitlessness. You know, in December of 1963, and some of you might remember this, 17-year-old Randy Gardner, he got two of his classmates, he got a Stanford researcher, he got a doctor in to begin to monitor him, and he set out to see how long he could stay awake. Well, after a couple of days, he was starting to get tired and moody. That would take, you know, a few hours for me. But after a couple of days, he's getting tired and moody. It's not as much of a fun experience anymore. After a few days, he started having trouble concentrating. He was having short-term memory loss. He was showing signs of paranoia. On the 11th day, the 11th day, They gave him a task. They said, we want you to start at 100, count backwards by seven. He got to 65 and he stopped. And they said, why did you stop, Randy? And he said, I don't know what I was doing. I forgot. Finally, finally, after this valiant effort, after 264 hours, Randy fell asleep. He couldn't stay awake any longer. And here is the thing. As creatures... As creatures, we are in the same position. You can try, you can hold on to that control, you can try and push the boundaries, you can try and push your limits, but the question is not if you will go to sleep. The question is always when. When will you sleep? We are finite. We have limits. Even if we can push that boundary for a long, long time, even if you could go 265 hours, You will still sleep. But the Bible says of our Creator in Psalm 121, 
It says, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not, what? Will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. You see, in our sleep, we are acknowledging our limits. We are acknowledging that we are finite. We are finally forced to give up this idea that we can do anything and everything and there's all the time in the world. But God, in our sleep, affirms his limitlessness. Sleep isn't something he does. It isn't something he needs. He never needs to be restored. He never needs to have his loves reordered. He never wrestles with who is in control. He does not need sleep. It's a gift for us, for his creatures who are finite, who need to be renewed daily. And so here is the truth that we see as we approach this fourth commandment. What we know is that we cannot restore ourselves. We cannot restore ourselves, but in sleep, in this holy moment, God restores us. Sometimes we are blind to our affections. Sometimes we we are blind to our disordered loves. But in sleep, God shows us whether our hearts are set on good things. Uh, We try and hold on to control. We, We try and do everything that we can down to the minute. But when we are asleep, we have to give up our control. And when we are asleep, God shows his sovereignty. And although we live in a nation of workaholics, entertainment addicts, and a culture that says these limits are in your head, God affirms his limitlessness as the one who neither slumbers nor sleeps. He alone is God. So as you approach this fourth commandment, which is in itself a gift, and you see that that life that it gives on the other side of it. Work for six days, and on the seventh, rest in the Lord, and enter each day through the doorway of sleep. It is a holy moment in which God is at work, even when we are at rest. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this gift of sleep. Lord, a gift that we don't treasure enough when we are young, but we see 